Hi, I'm Alex Jump, and this is Focus on Health, a podcast dedicated to discussing and bringing to light topics surrounding health, wellness, and workplace culture in the food and beverage industry. Through these conversations, I hope to explore the unique challenges that hospitality workers face, from workplace relationships and work-life balance to guest interactions and everything in between. This week, my guest is Steph Tesler, the East Coast Manager of Trade Education and Mixology for Patron Spirits. With over 18 years of experience in the food and beverage industry, Steph has worked across North America in nearly every role within our industry. I've learned with my own team that I I, I just have our, our our group chat on silent all the time and like no notifications and I just like, we'll see a dot and I'll check it. But, you know, with other, any other text messages, like if I see a notification, it's like, I have to get it out of there. You know, it's like, I feel rude if someone asks me a question, and I don't respond unless it's like 11 o'clock at night. And they're like, what do you think right. about, you know, sending me that deck that I was, you know, asked for. And it's like, fuck, what the fuck are you doing, man? We really didn't text me. <laughs> right. Like, well, but then on the other end, you know, they're probably like, oh, I finally have a second to check some things off my fucking to-do list. And well, this is, yeah. this is actually the part that I think is so important to remind ourselves is that just because somebody sends a message doesn't mean that they expect immediate an immediate response necessarily and I think that we all need to train ourselves to be okay with not getting an immediate response yeah when it comes to certain things and remind ourselves that we don't have to either this is actually why I have my red receipts on on my text messages because it like I know I have my red receipts on so if I I know if I read a message they're gonna know I read it so Mm -hmm. if if in that very brief preview on the mess on my text message screen, like, you know, when you're just in your, you can see all of your text messages, you kind of can read the first sentence or two of what that message says. Mm-hmm. If I know I'm not ready to respond to that message or like don't have an answer or don't have the bandwidth to respond to it at the moment, I'm like, I can't open it because they're going to know I opened it yeah. and then I've not responded. So I just, that's like my checks and balances for me with text messages. So I'm like, okay, like, even in person, you know, like not just like work stuff, but yeah, I'm just like, I try not to open text messages until I'm ready to respond to them. And so like, yeah, my red receipts are like my, my way to hold myself accountable. Yeah. And also communicate that to the people that are texting you, you know, that you haven't seen something yet. So therefore don't expect an immediate response, you know? Right. Yeah. I'm I'm the same way with Facebook message. Like you can definitely see a little bit of a preview and it's usually just like random people from around the country. That's like, hey, I'm in this city, like, what do you think? Or I'm in Miami or, you know, whatever. Right. And it's like, I need, I set a specific time that I respond to that stuff and I consider it work. So I respond during business hours. And if it's outside of that, like, unless it's a close friend, of course, but if it's outside of that, I just can't, you know? And it's like, ugh, it's so hard sometimes to just not, <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, 100%. we've been struggling with disconnecting quite a bit I think on our team and some people thrive off of it and like love it I think and some people like myself like Steven's all about it and I am the opposite like I need time where I I don't even like having a bar in my house like I have a separate room in my house now that's like my bar my workspace my desk like my liquor and I keep it away from the rest of my house because it's like my job I don't I'm one of those weird people that like I don't want a massive bar in my house because it just reminds me of work, you know, and totally probably one of the weirder ones in the industry that feel that way. But yeah, well, I mean, I have to applaud everybody that has transitioned from, you know, a, a dynamic kind of like 
all, you know, always changing job to having to work at home for the last year. I don't know how I would have done it to be honest. Like I need, I need the routine of going somewhere different. Like it ought to be honest. It's hard enough for me to sit down in my own house and record this podcast. Like every day I try to talk myself out of doing it. And I think that if I just, if I drove somewhere, if I had to drive to my place of recording and like get in my zone and like, you know, have my cup of coffee and like have my routine to get to there. I think it would not be as mentally difficult for me, but like every time I like literally probably 10 minutes ago, I was like, I wonder if I could just text her and postpone it. And then I was like, you can't do that. Like just sit down and record the fucking podcast. (laughs) To be honest with you, because it's Monday and I'm just like struggling today. I was almost thinking about that too. And then I was like, no, we just need to do this and like, get it, you know, like, right. (laughs) Like if there is an out, I'm always like, I should. And I'm like, well, I need to just get this done. Like, this is important to get done. And like, I don't know. Like, I understand that everyone that's been going into bars and restaurants, like, I totally, I totally take note of the fact that, like, you know, your health and your safety has been a massive, like, it's been really, really challenging. Um, But it's, you know, it's been hard on this side as well. And I don't at all want to take away anything from anyone that's been working in bars and restaurants. And I don't equate it as being the same, but like, there's a different mental anguish that comes from your job doing a complete 180. And it's like, you know, some people, if you're working behind a bar, it's like, yes, things have changed, but like the process is kind of like your the job. Mecha- the mechanics are still the same. Right. Like the mechanics, yeah, you your see- job role is the same. It's just altered pandemic wise. But like my job has completely morphed into like digital video editor and like, you know, content producer and all this sort of stuff that I'm just like, this is like not the job that I had before, <laughs> you know, it's like a totally different job. And not only are we learning how to do all this stuff like alone and isolated, but we're doing it all out of our houses, you know, like there's no, there's no clocking out to where you're like, ah, like I can't, I'm so happy to be home. It's like, I'm not, I'm home. I'm here. It's always here. It's right. Just- <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, I, I was just, I said this, we said the same thing on the last recording with John DeBerry. Cause you know, I was like, yeah, I'm tired. I'm tired of the mechanics of closing a bar. Like I'm tired of doing that. Like I'm ready to not have to do that as part of my job anymore, mm-hmm. but at least I can like wipe off that last little bit of the like bar top and then be like punching out. Yep. And then, I mean, you know, and then like literally drive home. Like yeah. that's so different than I can't imagine just being like, all right, well, it's 7 p.m. and I've been sitting at my desk for the last 10 hours, like working on my computer. I guess I'm gonna go walk to the kitchen (laughs) 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 or whatever. Yeah, especially when I was in Miami and it was a one bedroom apartment and I love my apartment, it's great. There's nothing wrong with it. And when I was traveling, it was like the most perfect ideal, ideal spot. But those, you know, 650 square feet, like through the last year, get gets to be a real challenge you know and now thankfully I have like a house where I can go to the yard or whatever but I don't think it really matters how big your house is it's still your house like you know what I mean I mean I think having a mansion would make it by far a lot easier but uh you know I still think at the same time it's still your house you know there's something that you can't disconnect there like you can still you can still wear your pajamas anywhere around in it you know yeah, totally. I mean, I'm sitting here in my underwear, a big t-shirt, no bra with a blanket wrapped around me to record this podcast. Like if that was what I was doing for work every day, I would probably start to feel that like malaise as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's lifting and with that comes a whole other set of 
you know, a whole other conversation um, and some things that, that are gonna be going, people are gonna be going through and yeah, I don't know. Um, the light at the end of the tunnel, I guess, but it's, I don't think it's gonna be as easy as just being like flipping a switch, like, oh, it's over now. You know, I think there's obviously I've been reading about all the challenges with staffing, it's, which is just insane. I don't know how y'all are doing um, at your place of work, but I imagine it's a pretty desirable place to work. So you may not have as many issues, but um, it's just like a nightmare for staffing everywhere now. People are reaching out to me left and right. Like, oh my God, if you know anybody, like we're desperate for people. Yeah, no, honestly, it's been like pretty similar at Death & Co. I mean, we obviously do get a lot of applications, um, but a lot of them from kind of all, all over the country, sometimes some random places in the world. And while it, it's an extreme honor for people to want to move to work for us, um, at the same time, like we have a hard time being like, yeah, just like pick up your life and move to Denver or, you know, or Los Angeles or New York or wherever. Um, cause like, what if they don't like it? You know, like, what yeah. if they don't like Denver? What if, what if they actually don't like working for us? Like, and then they've just like picked up their whole life to, yeah. to do that or whatever. So, um, it, it has, we generally, we've seen a lot less applicants, um, and a lot more entry-level applicants than we would have like qualified applicants. Um, and then my partner, his three bars, they've had a hell of a time getting anybody, uh, you know, staffed as well. Pretty much like every day now, people are posting on every like Colorado Bartenders Guild or like, you know, whatever Bartenders Guild and industry pages always like posting hirings. There's so many people looking for work workers yeah. and there's very few workers. I think um, a lot of people, if they have a good job, they're obviously keeping it. And then a yeah. lot of people found a different career path uh, through this and I can't blame them. You know, it's like a really tough time to be in hospitality. Um, it's yeah. a time of reckoning, in my opinion, you know, and a lot of people that did find a new path during this, why would they, after their industry has forsaken them, so to speak, or they, you know, there's no trust anymore that they will have a job no matter what, like, why would you go back into that sort of risky situation again, especially while the pandemic is coming to a quote unquote end, but like, who knows what the ramifications will be down down the road, right? So like, right. why would you wanna just turn around and go right back to something after you've already like carved out a path somewhere else? And not to mention the fact that like, inherently the structure of bars and restaurants is pretty fucked. And like, let's talk about how, you know, an entry level bartender makes more money than like, you know, a lead bartender or a, a manager. Man or a general a manager. manager. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, the back of house, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that's that it's everywhere, you know, like there's no, if like, what is the incentive to like advancement, you know, to take on more responsibility? There really is none. Yeah. Oh my God. What a great question. I mean, I, yeah, I, I so much, so much has to change. Um, and I don't like, I, I constantly am thinking and worrying and wondering like how that change is going to come to fruition because, um, it's like a it's systemic like and structural like not systemic it's systematic and and structural changes that need to happen and um people need to like completely rewrite the the wheel when it comes to like how we charge people for services rendered in hospitality and then how we take that money and apply it to the profits for the restaurant and for you know how the staff will be paid and you know, something else that has been on my mind lately is also like 
how to ensure that that happens like fairly and with respect for the people working because like there's so many cases of restaurant owners like taking advantage of their staff and like you know changing the service model to be like a service fee and then not properly distributing those tips or whatever and like not and maybe not even that they're not doing that but they're not they don't even have a system of open communication to explain to their staff like what the process is or like how the money's being distributed you know so it's like there's all these issues with like lack of communication from ownership down to their employees and like it's yeah I don't know it's just fucked all around yeah agreed um well we've basically already started recording this podcast I I hit record a a while ago um um, so we might we might as well tell people who you are (laughs) um uh hi I'm Alex Jump (laughs) And this is focused on health. Um, and I'm chatting with Steph Tussler, who is um, a, a person I've known for a long time in our industry. You were actually the camp counselor for my first cabin in Camp Runamuck, um, the Espalone cabin um, back in, I don't know, 2000 and- Long time ago, yeah. Like 2014, 14? 14? I so. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. So a long time ago. Um, and you are, you know, just an absolutely awesome woman and somebody that I've really enjoyed like knowing and getting to know better over the years, just through, you know, running into each other or social media or whatever. But would you just take a couple of seconds and, um, you know, kind of tell everybody who you are, what your deal is, what you do, um, and whatever, yeah. whatever you want to share your sign, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, my name is Steph Tesler. I work as the East Coast uh, Trade Education Manager for um, Patron Tequila. I've uh, been in my position for almost three years now. And I have, um, I, I've lived somewhat of a nomadic life. I've done a lot of things. I've pretty much done almost everything you can imagine in the hospitality field from um, hosting to bartending to serving, uh, cocktail serving and banquets and uh, hotels and, you know, you name it. I've probably done it, washed dishes, uh, cooked, made eggs, all of that sort of stuff. So I've been around, I've been around the bend. Um, and then uh, I've always had sort of a passion and a love for Mexico and for agave spirits. So um, I actually uh, lived in Mexico for a year, um, a while ago, about 10, 11, 12 years ago now, 12 years ago. Uh, every time I say the story, I'm like, I'm like 10 years. And then I realize that time goes by and I need to adjust that number. Um, so I did live in Mexico for a year and uh, traveled Mexico um, almost before I was really like sinking my teeth into the craft side of the industry. I had done some other stuff, but um, so I've always really loved Mexico and uh, I've had a passion for agave spirits and um, sort of ended up uh, round a ways uh, running a bunch of bars that I don't necessarily think had an agave focus in the title of what the description of the bar would be, but I've sort of made it that. And through that, um, you know, lived in Phoenix and, and ran some bars there and then moved to Austin, Texas and, uh, you know, met a wonderful man named David Allen, or I actually knew him before from Runamuck as well. And uh, this position became available and I moved to Miami to work for Patron. I think that's awesome. the long of it. Yeah. Um, 
So when when you and I chatted a couple of weeks ago now, um, the the thing that like stood out that we talked about for this conversation was kind of like your transition from working in bars and restaurants and like having this more nomadic lifestyle. And I mean, you know, admittedly, I think a lot of people that that work in bars like do so not not for I don't like to use the term like Peter Pan necessarily because I we are very um, awesome professionals and that I think that's kind of like a little bit of a demoralizing term in some ways but there's kind of like this like maybe pirate nature of like working in bars where we're like we can do what we want and like we're kind of beholden to no one um and that transition from that style of work to working for Patron which is owned by Bacardi um and, you know, transitioning into almost like more of a corporate atmosphere, you know, the thing that you and I brought up and talked about a little bit was how people almost look at corporate as like the enemy um, and yeah. how it's, how it's really not that. Um, what has your experience been like transitioning to, to working for the, the oh, others? <laughs> Going to the dark side, whatever you yeah. want to you know, it's so funny. I'm glad I have this opportunity to say it and say it how I really feel because I, for the longest time, was that person. I grew up as like a punk rock kid. I was always like, fight the system, you know, fuck the man and anarchy forever. And um, was never really had my sights on, on working for a larger company. Um, and as I got older, I think like, you know, I don't want to say it's, it sounds like an old lady story, like, oh, it's about priorities and stuff like that. Like, <laughs> I, I don't necessarily even think it's about priorities, but it's about understanding like the impact that you want to make. And if your personal success, if you measure your personal success by, you know, um, the community and the successfulness of your bar and restaurant and your beverage menu and your knowledge of spirits and everything, and, and you draw personal satisfaction from that, then I think that, you know, working in bars and restaurants um, forever is a very honorable and then self, you know, satisfying goal. And for me, um, I think that working in bars and restaurants it, maybe it was a subconscious thing or maybe it was, you know, in the, in a little bit more in the front of my head, but it never was like sort of the end all be all for me because I always had a little bit more of a, I don't know, goal to make a, uh, impact. I guess I could say like on a broader spectrum, like not necessarily just a community impact and like meet the members of my community and serve them and, and provide people, you know, with the, the services that hospitality, um, you know, industry like bar restaurant would do, but kind of like beyond that, like a larger scale. And I, for the longest time, really rejected this idea of working for a large company and people that knew me, I think when I first took the job with Patron, um, which had just been purchased by Bacardi, I think a lot of people were really surprised because of the nature of who I was previously. But um, one of the biggest things that I really came to terms with is that, um, you know, if you want to have a voice and you want to make a change and you want to really impact um, people in a positive way, there's a lot of different ways to do that, right? And for me, the idea of working for a larger company means having a larger voice, right? It means having a, a bit more um, potentially sometimes like financial backing to be able to make certain programs, you know, come to fruition. Um, you know, we, one of the proudest things that I've accomplished with the company is, well, backstory here, when I was first going through my job interviews with Patron um, in the, in the, 
interview, one of the interviews, one of the questions was, what's the first thing you really want to accomplish in your role? Or what's one of the driving factors as to why you want to apply for this role? And, you know, my answer was, I want to make a really big impact on the sustainability conversation, you know, in relationship to agave and agave farming and the tequila and, and mezcal industry, right? Specifically mm -hmm. tequila. And, um, you know, after a year and a half with the company, we created this really awesome, I think, inaugural sustainability summit in Mexico and uh, got to bring down, you know, 25 people um, from all different backgrounds with all different areas of expertise to, to talk on the, the topic of sustainability. And while I think um, the topic like green bar programs and making sure that you're waste conscious at your bars is exceedingly important. We really wanted to provide this like super well-rounded, um, really diverse sort of perspective on this conversation and discuss bars and restaurants in regards to like urban planning and how is your bar in the neighborhood that you want to buy this bar or open this bar? How are you positively impacting the community and how are, you know, having those sorts of conversations. So I guess, you know, a long-winded way to answer your question is that for me, I saw this opportunity with a larger company um, as having a louder voice and to be able to make um, a different sort of impact on the hospitality industry uh, via programs like the Sustainability Summit, um, which unfortunately got, you know, postponed, canceled in 2020. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, that was huge for me. That's amazing. And I think you're so right. Um, being able to have your voice amplified and to work for people who will help you amplify it and, and help you be heard and help you um, make the changes and, and to support your community. Um, that's really important. And people underestimate the power that working for a, a, a larger company can like provide you with. I think actually um, Ginny Felt uh, just wrote a piece about that for Bon Appetit. Um, as well. And she's yeah. the Grey Goose ambassador in Atlanta. So yeah, she's great. Um, yeah, there's and it's, so much power in that. Yeah, I think it's really just like, um, I don't know. Uh, it's like certain people see going and working with a brand as, as like uh, the dark side or a sellout or something like that sometimes. And I just, I don't necessarily see it that way because of the impact that you can have on your communities. And I, I encourage people to think about the people that you know that have like transitioned into uh, working for a brand and really judge them on a case by case basis, like a, a, on a personal level. Um, because as in every industry, there's always going to be people that you don't necessarily like or get along with or like their style of work. Um, but I don't think that it's, um, I don't think it's fair to necessarily like, you know, kind of put everyone sort of in one bucket, <laughs> I guess you could say, so to speak. <laughs> and I would encourage everyone out there to judge everyone by, you know, their, their personal merit and their personal relationships they've had with whomever. 100%. I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've felt similarly about working at Death & Co, you know, like, like I wrote recently that like I've basically been given a, a slightly louder proverbial microphone to like yell out into the internet with um, thanks to my my job with them because they are a well-known bar. So like taking that as an opportunity to make positive changes in our industry and like if, you know, just like being able to take that voice and, and make changes that I want to see like 
I'm, I don't want to take that for granted, you know? And I think that it's probably a pretty similar experience. Like you give, you are given a lot of power and opportunity to make change thanks to, you know, working for Patron. Yeah. And I don't take that for granted either, you know? And I think like, I'm always, this, I call myself the squeaky wheel too. And um, <laughs> that is because I'm consistently and not that my whole team isn't, you know, they absolutely are, but I'm always the person that's like, okay, but you know, like I feel uh, almost obligated, I guess, since I have this, it's like with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> it's like, if really, you know, uh, if I need to put it that way, like I really feel like it's my duty and my obligation to, you know, try to make every, every activation that we do, every interaction that I have, like the most, um, uh, representative of everyone in the hospitality industry and really trying to do the most, you know, the most good as possible, I guess you could say. Yeah. Do you, do you, how do you feel about being the person who's always asking the, like, what if this isn't, you know, what if this isn't the best solution, you know, like always kind of ask and not what's the right way to ask this. Like, do you, have a hard time being the person who's always like the devil's advocate like or <laughs> do you like do you like find like strength in that I think uh both um I think that it's an inherently part of my personality to want to stir the pot um you know I'm Scorpio I like to <laughs> I like to you know, <laughs> cause a little cause a little uproar here and there um so I think that I do sort of get a little bit of satisfaction out of being that person I think I've always kind of been that person like I said like you know back when I was a teenager I was like the punk rock kid it was like you know I you know I don't believe in the system and every, you know and I always tried to find a way to find be play devil's advocate in a certain way mm -hmm. um so I think that there comes definitely some satisfaction with that. It feels kind of natural in a way, but it's it's hard. And again, I want to make sure that anyone that's listening understands that my team is absolutely up there with me and standing for all of the stuff as well. You know, I just happen to definitely be a bit of a loud squeaky wheel when it comes down to some things. Um, and, uh, you know, it's... I had a great conversation with David about this and it's like, you know, sometimes it feels a little um, alienating, I guess you could say, especially when, and, and I know that, you know, myself as um, like who I am and uh, a white woman, like, I don't think I necessarily, I know I don't necessarily face as many challenges when speaking up about things. Um, but again, that's why I feel like it is my responsibility to do so. Um, and it, it does kind of get sometimes a little hard, you know, if you feel sort of like you're alone on an island sometimes and fighting uphill a little bit. Um, but again, I think, you know, with the, um, with the responsibility that I feel like I have, I think that that's just sort of a, a bit of a burden to bear that's not ex exceeding, exce exceedingly difficult, I guess you could say. Um, but, uh, you know, it's not, it's not always easy. It's not always easy. Yeah, totally. Um, I think it start, it's, it's like a two pronged thing, right? It like, it starts with, first of all, like companies <clears throat> from the top up, you know, like supporting their employees and creating like, psychological safety in the workplace to where you can ask questions and, you know, like challenge ideas and have like healthy conversations because that's how you create 
like better companies and better places to work. Like that's how you make a better industry at large is by like asking questions and questioning basically everything to make sure that you have the best systems. Um, but then it also takes, you know, people not being like being willing to be that person too. But I think it does start originally with companies, like companies mm -hmm. being supportive of their staff and, and creating places, workplaces where you can ask questions. Um, absolutely. And I've absolutely felt that way with Bacardi. You know, we've, I started as a Patron employee and that was like a few months after you know, Bacardi had taken on Patron. And so there wasn't any real, um, we had not merged in any way really at that point. So it's sort of been a learning process for me, learning all these systems um, and structure of Bacardi, but they've been really, really amazing um, with being so proactive with a lot of programming and, you know, encouraging people pretty relentlessly to speak out and to be bold and to, um, you know, make a difference and to not be afraid to like speak up and speak your mind um, no matter what. So I definitely feel like I have a safe, a safe place to do that within my company, which I absolutely agree with you. It's so critical. Like, there's so many, um, there's so many things we could do to like make the world a better place and like encourage positive change when the systems, you know, are supporting that. And it starts with you, but it also starts with, um, you know, companies encouraging their employees to do that 100% and to give totally. them that safe space to do that. And this actually reminds me um, that I wanted to bring up just like the fact that Bacardi has been an incredible resource to the hospitality industry over the last, I would say, <clears throat> like five, five plus years, maybe like they're, they have constantly been like creating programming to support people that work in F and B, you know, to create healthy lifestyle or like at least help promote healthy lifestyles, like get active. And like they're, I feel like more than almost any other company, they genuinely are like interested in the people in our industry, just like being well-rounded people. So like they create programming that doesn't have to do anything with bartending. <clears throat> yeah. Like the, <clears throat> I don't know. There's something in my throat. <clears> throat> Excuse it's me. Season. <laughs> um, they, um, yeah, like, you know, like bartender boxing. It's like the only thing that had to do with bartending was that we were all bartenders. Like, you yeah. know, the, um, rum shaker, uh, you know, like they, for a long time through St. Germain, I felt like we're actively promoting like better wellness lifestyles, yeah, like lots, you know, yoga. Yeah. And responsible drinking and all that sort of stuff. And I completely agree with you. And that's why I was so happy to sort of learn more and more, like, you know, the symbiosis that we have with the, the company with I have, that I have personally and the support for those kinds of programs. Cause you know, um, maybe I'm sharing too many secrets here, but sometimes when you're working uh, with a brand, it's it's hard to really um, put money behind programs that you can't demonstrate like the, you know- An ROI. Yeah, like yeah. This, this this encourages, you know, people to uh, drink the product and, and everything. Mm -hmm. Like, well, I'm really happy that Bacardi sees how positively all of these other things, you know, impact like, how people view the brands and thank you for saying that also because I love the the bartender boxing was so fun and rum shakers I think um is super fun and and I loved watching that in in Puerto Rico I thought that was so much fun um but it 
you know, I, I don't know. I think that that's so important. And I think that it's it's challenging sometimes for brands um, to, to evolve and really realize like, what are the needs of the trade and what are the needs of the consumers and, and where do they intersect? And like, you know, what's something that the trade really would enjoy that maybe isn't necessarily just another big party, you know? And what else can we do? What else can we do that positively affects them that it, you know, encourages health, wellness, maybe responsible, you know, drinking and being physically active, you know? So yeah, I, I mean, I would gladly go the rest of my life without ever receiving another t-shirt from a brand if they could just allocate that money to doing something different. And that's what, I mean, that's what I've been saying is that like people are going to sell your products if you treat them well. Like, yeah. I, and I, but the, I guess the other part of it is that like, I hope that the rest of the like bar, the f- food and beverage community can like get behind this thought, but like ask I think that people should be asking brands for more things that benefit them. Like who cares about swag? Like it's like, if you think about the like millions of dollars that are being spent on creating like POS, like just like a small portion of that could go to create such better things for our industry. And like in the long, in the long term term, I would imagine that, I mean, it, the ROI will be different and like, I will take longer, I guess, to like, you know, maybe be able to see it, but like, yeah, like brands that take care of our community should be like supported by our community. Like I'm way more inclined to like put a Bacardi anything on the menu because they are so like ready to take care of our community. Yeah. And I want to, I want to encourage, I'm so glad you brought that up because I, I saw recently a thread somewhere in regards to swag and everything like that. And I, I wanted to comment, but I generally, I tend to stay off of Facebook commentary mm-hmm. just because I'd rather have a conversation and I, I, you know, I'd rather talk about it like this, mm-hmm. but, um, <clears throat> you know, I think that at, at least in regards to my team, like we are so ready to provide other things things that are not necessarily like swag or shirts. Um, And I think what I would encourage anyone who's listening or or someone that people that are working behind the bar or, you know, um, working with bars currently is to um, think about what it is that you want and what you want brands to spend their money on because we do listen as much as possible, you know, and it may not be like, (laughs) it may not be something that I can make a a 180 on in five days and say, okay, well, we're all of a sudden donating this money. Like it definitely takes time and you have to allocate budgets and all that sort of stuff. Like, please bear with us because a lot of times we're not ignoring it. It's just, it has to go through so many channels to get approved again. Right. 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 But like, you know, we're, we're listening. And if, if every bartender said like, I don't want any more swag, I want it to be donated then brands are going to listen, you know? So y'all have such a huge collective voice. And, you know, I say that coming from someone that spent 14 years, 15 years working behind bars, like, you know, I understand that perspective as well. Like, but there is such a huge collective voice that when unified, you know, brands will listen and say, okay, we're not going to make any more 
cheesy throwaway things, you know, and I implore every brand to, you know, not just Bacardi, but like for everyone to like stop reinvesting money and things like that. And, you know, there's a couple maybe fun swag things that make sense for certain events or whatever. Um, but things that can be reused or things that are really, really useful um, or things that, you know, um, can really positively benefit a community. So um, if y'all speak together with a loud voice, like, you know, we're definitely, we're going to listen to that. <laughs> I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but I know many, many people that work for brands that are just like, what do bartenders want as the conversation that we have like 90% of our day. Um, yeah, I agree with you and I'm going to keep saying it and hopefully other people will start saying it too, because like, like this, how this whole conversation like started, it's like brands have so much power to provide for our industry. And like, that is like the coolest part about your job stuff is that like, you get to be the person that like gets to be that conduit, um, to help make our industry a better place. So, you know, I think that we all just need to use our voices to ask for what we want. Yeah, and I know that, you know, at least the people I work with on a daily basis on my team, I can speak for them and say that that's absolutely, they put so much love and so much thought into, you know, trying to make, just make either really quality content like educational program or entertaining content or, you know, um, other programs that are gonna be super beneficial and educational to um, the bar community, so. Um, you know, whatever it is that is, is needed, like we definitely try to listen. And I know my team puts, puts all of their, without sounding like an advertisement for them, but mm -hmm. you know, I know my team puts a lot of energy, a, a ton of energy towards that. Yeah. yeah. Well, that makes me happy to hear. So, <laughs> <clears throat> well, it has been a, a real delight getting the chat. I mean, I, I actually can't even believe that we've been talking for 40 minutes it literally feels like I just sat down and not to sound like a broken record but I am really glad we chatted because I already feel like better and less stressed about the rest of the day oh. which I felt I was like feeling the same time when I chatted with John a couple of weeks ago I was like anxious and stressed out and having a really bad day and then I at the end I was like I'm oh, so glad I did this and I keep doing that. So I'm, it's like going to the gym, you know, it's like, you don't want to go. And then afterwards you're like, I'm so glad I went. So like, thank you for, yeah. Thank you for sitting down and talking and um, just like providing some insight and in how like cool you're a part of our industry is because you're still a part of our industry. You know, like you're not, you are not the other, like you are very much an integral part of our industry. And um, I'm grateful to have, you know, people like you advocating for, for bartenders and servers and everyone in between. Um, thank, so you. thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I hope if any, you know, if there's anything anyone takes away from this, it's that, you know, always reach out if there is something you need help with or if there's an idea that you have, um, you know, your, your brand managers and advocacy teams and everything in your neck of the woods are, they really are trying to listen. And there's of course some that maybe don't, but the majority of them are so like, don't think anything you ask for, like, or, you know, I don't want to say like ask for, but if there's an idea that you have or like a program you want to do or whatever, like reach out to people um, because we're there and we're listening. And if it makes sense, like, we're going to be like, thanks so much for bringing that to our attention. Like, that sounds awesome. Let's do that. You know, and that's happened several times with me. Um, yeah. Well, how can yeah. people get in touch with you specifically? Like if they want to just reach out and say hello, or if they have an idea or 
whatever yeah. or can they just follow you how do they find you so if you want to just send me a casual note about something um you can always send me a note on facebook or if you go on to instagram um, my work instagram is agave uh, underscore mommy m-a-m-i uh, or agave underscore all day which is my personal one which i regretfully check probably more than my work but i will try to do <laughs> just as frequently um but if it's if it's a real pitch or a, a real you know larger scale sort of like um a uh, program or event, uh, you can definitely email me as well if that makes more sense. Um, my uh, email is S-T-E-S-L-A-R, so just S and then my last name, at Bacardi.com. So pretty simple. Um, yeah, excuse me. Um, you can feel free to reach out any of those ways. And Alex, we were talking earlier about, you know, maintaining a little bit of boundaries with, uh, you know, <laughs> contact. So I will probably uh, not respond unless it's during business hours, but I'm not ignoring you. I'm just trying to set some healthy personal boundaries for myself. Hell yeah. Um, well, let's wrap up with just one last question. If you could be anywhere in the world having something to drink right now, where would you be and what would you be drinking? Uh, well, I'm going to say the first thing that came to my mind, which is probably if I had a longer time to think about it, I would probably maybe alter it a little bit. But for right now, um, I would say that I would like to be in, um, probably in Puerto Rico, uh, in San Juan on the beach. And I would like to be drinking this drink that I think is everyone's going to laugh at me for it. Um, but it's one of my favorite things to make. Uh, and uh, I will credit um, Julio uh, at Cafe La Trova for making this for me. And it is a mojito, but it's made with Roca Patron silver. So I know everyone that's a mojito or, or rum purist out there is going to hate me for this answer, but I swear <laughs> I it. Um, with Roca silver, it is so good, so, so tasty, so refreshing. Like it is the most refreshing thing in the entire world. And I'm just ready to like, I don't know, like let loose and like take the layers off and sit on the beach and enjoy one of those. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I would drink that. Yeah, I would. Don't be a hater, you gotta drink something <laughs> if it's good. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if we can call it a mojito anymore, but like it's all the essential ingredients of a mojito, but replace Roca Silver in there. And if you wanna put rum in, absolutely put rum in, but like, oh my gosh, try it with Patron as Silver or Roca Silver, it is so good. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with me this Monday morning. I really, I really appreciate it. Um, I hope that your the rest of your Monday is nice and productive and, and not overwhelming. Thank you. And same to you as well. To ensure that you don't miss an episode, please subscribe to the Focus on Health podcast on Spotify, Anchor, or anywhere else that you get podcasts. Make sure to tune in every other Monday for new episodes and don't miss No Proof with Joshua Gandy every other Wednesday.